set. They're scrambled. Usually get a good look at it. Shots blocked by Shea Gilgis Alexander. Rookie against rookie. Patrick Beverly joins us on SportsCenter. He plays on the best team in L.A. Great five seconds. Zimmer's bringing in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh, my goodness. Welcome back to another Clippers Pulse podcast. I'm Adam, and I'm joined today by Hazzy, who's ready to handle his bloody twerps. Hi, how's it going? How you doing, Hazzy? What did you think of the game last night? Well, uh, it, was, it was quite interesting. I thought uh, we started off very strong. Um, I think the poise and the energy we brought was, was quite good. Um, but I do think that uh, from the beginning, um, Gallo needed to be kind of our best player going into it. And he needed to be the third best player out of the entire series, right below Durant and Curry. And he did start off very well. He had that three right off the start of the game. And then he uh, he kind of lost his poise. He got that tech. He never gets a technical foul as well. So I think that kind of lost his poise. It uh, got Doc attack as well. And it kind of just uh, kind of kind of led him to have a lot of bad shots at the end. Kind of four shots. I think he went like four for 13 or something like that. So it kind of killed the mood for him. Um, and that... Uh, and he's supposed to be our leader for the starting lineup, so I think uh, our starting lineup had a little struggle when he kind of lost his voice. There's been a lot about this tech, actually. If you've looked through the media today, Doc is not happy at all. Obviously, yeah. uh, Gallo didn't swear. He didn't really get in anybody's face. He was just asking where no. the foul was, and all of a sudden there's okay, a tech. Foul, yeah. like, said, it just uh, seemed a bit foul. unfair, dude. Yeah, it's... Uh... It seems unfair, especially since the Warriors guys, it's like they're just laughing at the ref and they don't get anything. But as soon as our leader, who has been quiet all season, he says, what foul? And then you give him a technical, you know, I, I bet that probably killed his mood, you know, and it kind of got him frustrated a bit, kind of made him force a lot of unnecessary shots. He would, like, I mean, he's a, he's a really good player. He's a really talented guy. But I think when he gets ahead of himself and he gets frustrated, then he, he's kind of doing these four shots and he's kind of uh, fade away Kobe-esque kind of shots that don't really work and it's not really his style so I think that was that was a little bit of a mood killer especially to see from him um uh, like uh what what do you, do you agree or yeah no I agree I was watching um from my perspective talent wise he should be the third best player in that series he's got to mm-hmm. be the leader offensively for our team and he's also solid on D so we needed him to step up there as well Moving forward, I can see a little bit of a defensive switch happening. Personally, right. I think they're going to put Beverly on Curry in the next game, if not the next game, oh, yeah. and in game three, mm-hmm. and then switch Gallo on to Durant, and then probably right. try and hide Shea a little bit, put him on, mm-hmm. probably put him on Draymond, try and avoid as many switches because he was struggling and coming up, coming up and under those pick and rolls against Curry. Yeah, he was, he was, definitely was. I'd, and like that, that uh, that's just a rookie, you know. Like we're expecting a lot. But uh, like rightfully so, even Doc says that he expects the same from him, like to exceed expectations and to kind of maintain that uh, that drive he has. But yeah, those screens were definitely killing him, and Curry was just getting open looks. You know, like the last thing you want is to give Curry a simple open look from three. Um, but I was I was surprised to see that uh, at the beginning, Jovan, who's a um, Clippers analyst, who said that uh, they're going to put Beverly on Durant, and everyone's kind of joking about it. I like that because like I think Durant. Even if you put a height on him, it doesn't really intimidate him. You need to really kind of um, 
kind of peck at him a bit like Beverly does. But then you have Curry, who you have no one who can guard him. So it's a little tough. Uh, but I do agree with you. I think uh, the switch next game needs to happen for sure. Yeah, Joe Vans even put an article out today saying uh, pretty similar. He wants He's considering Beverly to move on to Curry. Just for the harassment, I'm assuming, harass Curry, get the ball out of his hands a little bit more. Because he went into God mode towards the end of that game. Everything yeah. he put up just went in. Well, and with Gallo, he he's had a... one inch of Go ahead, bro. No, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, with Gallo, he's obviously not as defensively as strong as Beverly, but he's got a big body, he's got good length. If he can just start disrupting Durant, maybe Durant's going to score a few more points because he's not getting harassed the way he was in game one. But if we can kind of take the ball out of Curry's hands, disrupt Durant, and then we carry on doing the scheme that we allowed where you kind of don't focus as much on Draymond and Cousins, then you're just kind of asking Thompson to do a little bit more than what he was in this game. And then you just live or die with the results from there. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. That's literally the best agenda we have. And if you look at yesterday, like it kind of worked out for the other guys. Like Cousins got fouled for that, which is, he had probably his worst like possible playoff start of his career you could have had. So he was frustrated. Thompson didn't hit any threes until the end of the game. Uh, Durant got checked uh, out, so he got kicked out. And, you know, it was just kind of Draymond Green's first couple threes at the beginning of the game. But he's not going to... I don't think he's going to continue to hit those threes throughout the series. If you... and that, that's what Doc was saying, wasn't it? That we'll live with you making a few of those shots, but we're not trying to win one game. We're trying to win the series. And you're going to have to hit that consistently before we start changing our scheme. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, I completely agree with that. Doug, Doug's a really good coach to uh, coach these guys. I mean, he was the last coach to beat them in the Western Conference Finals. Um, when uh, And the Clippers was the last team to beat the Warriors, too. So if there is a coach to kind of set up these schemes and whatnot against the Warriors, it is Doc, for sure. Yeah, and we lost game one in that series where we actually beat them last time as well. So it's nothing to worry about this early, but there are adjustments mm-hmm. that need to be made. This team's amazingly strong offensively and defensively. So it is going to be down to performing your job and performing your role to perfection to stand any chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that brings me to my next point of like, if it's, uh, if he thinks about possibly changing the starting lineup because I do think the amount of firepower the Warriors have in the starting lineup is kind of beyond um, what anyone can imagine anymore. But um, when we start off with starting lineup, it's like the fire is not really there. Except like the game for us started turning when Lou Williams and Montrose Hale came on the floor, and then they're doing their thing. They got they each got like twenty points before half or something like that, or sorry, under like fifteen or sixteen before half. But that energy we were having was amazing and obviously you can't really split the two up but I'm wondering if maybe Doc is considering changing the lineup a bit maybe switch out Zubas Zubas only paid 10 minutes he didn't get any points or anything um, but I think a starting lineup switch definitely needs to, maybe is on the table not sure what you think I spoke to Clipper Darrell about this actually uh, two days ago and I was asking him if he thinks a lineup change is going to be in order somewhere through the series and his response was, and I'm kind of on the same wavelength with what he was saying, is just that why would you change it and risk messing up the chemistry that got you there? That chemistry that's caused you to quote unquote under overachieve. Right. 
no, that's uh, that's a good point. But I mean, if we're gonna start Zubas for ten minutes and he's not gonna do anything, and then by the time you bring in Harrell, like we're already down ten points, you know, it's it's tough. But like, I understand they like Lou and Harrell need to be together. Like that's just kind of their their thing. But I mean, like on offense, if you only have Gallo kind of shooting there, Shaman's struggling, Zubas is struggling, then Gallo feels all this pressure on him, then. Uh, I'm not sure, but at, at the end of the day, I agree with uh, whatever Doc decides. I do, I do agree with the fact that you've come this far with this lineup and this chemistry, so you can't really change it. Um, like the, the second unit where we have Lou, Trez, and then three guys we picked up, uh, Michael Green, Temple, and Wilson Tide. Like that's a great lineup, you know. That I think uh, against their bench, like it, it did a lot of damage and whatnot. But our starting lineup compared to their starting lineup is just so lopsided that. Curry just comes out and he's already so confident that he knows he's going to hit the shot. You know, like, and that kind of confidence that Curry has, he showed last night, like, literally one inch of space and he hit the shot. It was ridiculous. Like, you give him, it wasn't even a second or a millimeter of space that he just hit it. You know, he knew he was going to go in too. Yeah, that's contact lens Curry for you, dude. He had a ridiculous (laughs) game. What I was really shocked about was how many boards we allowed, how many offensive boards we allowed him to grab. There wasn't yeah. much boxing out going on. Mm-hmm. That, that, what did Curry have? 15, career high 15 rebounds? Or 30 yeah, rebounds? dude. Oh my God. Yeah. I think, um, that, it's just, I think keeping a man on him, just like if Curry's getting those rebounds, like, you know, that's just, that must be so frustrating for Doc to see. But if you do put Beverly on him, you know, he's going to get a body on him for the rebounds. But I don't know. Like, if we, you either, I feel like next game, if you put Beverly on Curry, then Durant's going to go off. You know what I mean? It's just going to be like, okay, like, now what do you do? You switch it back and forth. Like, one of them, if one of them go off in a game, it's going to be over. Yeah. This is why I think that Gallo's so important, being switched on all the way through. Not just offensively, but he's a big guy. Having him body up Durant and kind of just, instructing him to harass him a little bit because Durant's known to get let you get under his skin we saw that in mm-hmm. game one so if we can instruct Gallo to do the same like he's going to be pissed anyway dude because he got the tech so yeah. why not tell him to yeah. channel that and try and get under Durant's skin Boogie for me isn't a huge worry at the moment he was a, mm-hmm. mo- a negative 17 on the plus minus yesterday <laughs> Yeah. Like, so I don't think he's much of a worry. He can stretch the floor, and when he's hot, he gets hot. But he's mm-hmm. coming off that injury, so I'm not too worried about Boogie. I think we need to start putting some more schemes in place to get Shammer open, try and let him get hot a little bit, because that hurt us mm-hmm. as well. We rely on his three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. And I think in, even in an interview with Curry or Durant, someone's like, I give props to Shammer because... He's the, one of the first rookies that we actually game plan for. So, like, a team's game plan for Shamit because they know he can get off those screens. And, and every time he shoots the ball, like, you think it's going in. Like, his his shot form is just so perfect and it's just so it's so beautiful to see that, like, the game plan with him. I do agree that, like, he needs to kind of, we need to get him going. I think the first game was just a little bit of maybe a shock to him, you know. But him running around doing these screens like it's it's an option for us but yeah like i think it goes back to gallo still like if he comes out with a different energy like he did in the first quarter and he maintains that throughout the game then it's almost like uh it's almost like we have like two three superstars on our team too but uh gallo just disappeared in the second half of the game <laughs> last last night 
it it happens, dude. When you get when someone gets in your head like that, and you you're a bit worried to carry on playing with that intensity because you don't want to foul out. You're already on a tech. It's yeah. hard. I was taking notes. I rewatched the game this morning, my time. So I watched it live, right. and then I like to rewatch it back and see if I if I missed anything during a play or what's really sticking out to me. One right. of the notes I made was Zubak. Obviously, he got into foul trouble early, which is mm-hmm. another reason why he had such limited minutes during the game. But the guy's a liability against a team that switches this much. Right. So that's going to need to be schemed for, in my opinion. Maybe we do shorten his minutes, but then we need to think how we're going to add Harali into the lineup. Are we going to. You can't really increase lose minutes much more than what he's already playing. No. What did he get? No. Thirty-two minutes last night. Lou Williams, yeah, I think they, the, I think a couple of them had thirty-two, thirty-three. Shy, Shay, I, I always call him Shy. I don't know why, but Shay, he got blocked four times on drives to the lane, so he needs to start making a focus on hiding that ball a little bit, especially when he's driving. He was showing it too much. Clay was reading him well, blocked him four mm-hmm. different times coming in. Thompson didn't have a yeah. great offensive game, but defensively, mm-hmm. he was a nightmare all the way through. <laughs> and that's the thing with Thompson is like he doesn't, uh, like he didn't hit a three till the, la- till the last quarter, but you know, you don't see his hustle on the defensive side. His hustle on the defensive side, like his his drive defense was, was incredible. You know what I mean? Like we would go in and the rookies would just get shut down in the corner. Like I think Shaman got blocked by him too or something like that. Or was it Curry? I'm not sure, but his defense was crazy. Um, and I think that's it's it's uh it was maybe it was a little bit of a shock to Shea, but I think Shea really had a good game. You know, like I think Doc was saying how he needs to maintain this. He maintained it. Um, apart from a couple mistakes and whatnot, he really looked confident out there. But I think uh, he just needs to take care of the ball more, and he needs to be a little more decisive with his decisions. Like if he's gonna go in for the basket, like, you have to really go in for it. You know? Yeah, there was a few times where he drove, and you could see he wanted to dish. But there was no options available, so he's like, "Oh, well, I've got to take it up now." Yeah, and then you go up, and then no, like Clay Thompson's right there, or someone else is right there. And I think Harold too, when he just started, when he just entered the game at the beginning, like he was a little uh, indecisive in the paint. And like I think people underestimate that the maybe not underestimate, but the Warriors' paint defense is like top notch. If you have Durant there, you have Cousins down there, and even if you got Iguodala, Draymond Green, like. If you're going to make a decision in the paint, it better be very, very decisive. Iguodala was another factor last night. He came in and just provided so much energy for them off the, off the bench. Yeah. Yeah, he... Uh, I, but uh, it's, that's playoff Iguodala, you know. It's the, every playoffs... In the regular season, he's not really there. And it comes to playoffs, and all of a sudden, you've got like a Hardy coming off the bench with that much energy. It's kind of that energy booster. So, yeah, he is. That's the problem, and that's why you can get finals MVPs, and it's difficult, especially coming up against a team that's just riddled with all-stars. So when I'm I'm just looking through right now as we're talking at the box scores, seeing if anything sticks out for me that I missed earlier, but mm-hmm. it's, it is exactly that. It is what it is. Green had 17 points. Durant had 23 if you read Jovan's article earlier today that he released, he was actually saying how it hurt the Clippers that Boogie fouled out because he was such a negative for the team. Him leaving and being replaced by Iggy actually solidified them more. Oh wow, that's a that's an interesting point, but I do I do see where he's coming from. 
it was a I didn't think of it that way until I read it. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh yeah, shit. We were just Lou Williams was just having fun all day with Boogie. They were putting him in them pick and rolls, he weren't keeping coverage. All of a sudden he fouls out and now you've got to try and perform that on Iggy, who's a better defender anyway. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. That's very true. He did he foul out in the end of the what's the the middle of the fourth? Yeah, it was like early middle kind of positioning. But yeah, he fouled out quite early in the fourth. And obviously we weren't gonna win. I'm not saying that him being in the game cut him be, him fouling out cost us the game. But right, it may right. have been a bit closer because we would have carried on running what we were running, getting Lou to do those cuts, dragging him left and right in the paint, and all of a sudden we've got an extra ten, fifteen points on the board. No, right, I agree with that. He was Lou Williams was having a lot of fun out there. Like end of the second right there, he was just going back and forth. He was hitting some crazy balls off the backboard, almost cur- almost curry esque, and I was like, Wow, this is this is the playoff. Lou we need because Lou is, has been struggling in the playoff before like everyone's been saying on Reddit oh like is is Lou gonna be uh the playoff self he is but uh, he kind of really showed up today uh yesterday and he kind of denied those rumors it was difficult um I don't want to start looking forward to game three until we get through game two but I do think that once we're back at the sorry once we're back at the staples the energy of the crowd, as long as there's a good turnout, is going to help mm-hmm. as well. But the problem is, Curry seems to play better when the crowd's <laughs> against him. And that's a problem. Especially in Staples Center. <laughs> yeah, I he see. loves just draining in the Staples. And then you've oh, got Durant, yeah. you've got Boogie. Draymond's always, I don't think he's an offensive threat, but he's always a threat because of his decision-making and his playmaking. Mm-hmm. They, he made, I mean, Durant and them made some really stupid mistakes and turnovers during the game, too. Like, I don't know if you remember the one where they're taking up the ball and then uh, Draymond wasn't looking, Durant just passed it over his head and it just went out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> kind of silly things. And then Durant was laughing and then Green was like, oh, like, was that pass for me? Um, it's, it's nice seeing those things from the other side, not being a team, but uh, you're right. Like, Draymond Green is a is a threat no matter what. Like, it's just his decision-making and him being on the court and his energy, too. When he hits those threes and the way he's yelling, like, it's terrifying to see, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's a, a passionate guy, dude. Pure energy. But sometimes that's what you need. You need your team to feed off your energy. That's why they call him the emotional leader. Talking mm-hmm. about turnovers, the Clippers had 19 turnovers. That's something oh, they wow. need to really work on for the next game. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of those do you think are from the the rookies kind of making indecisive decisions. I'd say 25 to 33% maybe. Some of them were just unforced errors and then some of them were a little bit more legit, if you know what I mean. Like you can kind of mm-hmm. live with that turnover. Right. No, I agree with you. I think Gallo had one or two where it was just kind of was really dumb turnovers, mistakes and whatnot. But I think a lot of them go back to like just like decision making, you know what I mean? Like not teleporting the pass and just making it like if you're going to do something, do it. You know what I mean? And don't teleport the pass, which goes back to very fundamental basketball. I'm sure Doc is having a field day kind of yelling at this just because it's fundamental stuff and it's just very minor errors that you that you don't, that you teach not kids to not do in high school, you know? Yeah. There's a turnover that sticks in my head, and I think it was either late in the third or early in the fourth, where Shays passed it to Beverly on the wing, and Beverly's one foot was already out of bounds as he caught the ball. Boom. Turnover. 
That's the sort yeah. of careless turnover that would bother me. It's not one I could live with. Whereas I'm going, you know, if you're going up for a, you're driving in and you go to dish and then someone's hands deflect it and all of a sudden they come up with a steal, I can kind of live with that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. It's court awareness. Like if you, you got to know where you are, especially in the playoffs. Like these are some mistakes that you see lottery teams make, you know, and you're just like baffled by it. And the next day it goes on Instagram like on uh Shaq's in a fool or something. So if we're if we're gonna be a playoff team we gotta we gotta act like one, no? Exactly. And you've gotta have that mentality. I think at the start of the game they came in believing they could leave with a win. Mm-hmm. Towards the middle of the second, that's when I noticed their energy level dropped, their belief dropped a little bit as well. I thought they were acting defeated way before they needed to. And it wasn't until the end of the second when did they go in, was it what, fourteen points down, fifteen down? It was thirteen. Uh, I think it was thirteen or fifteen. But they, the Warriors went on a thirteen-one run, and that I think that's the 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 time you're talking about when they kind of lost their grip. Yeah, they were just kind yeah. of sloppy. They didn't. They yeah. weren't getting back on D. They weren't locking people up. Yeah, and those are the runs you need to avoid, especially against the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transition defense for that thirteen-one uh, one was just terrible. It was just. I don't even know. Curry like Curry hit a ridiculous shot, first of all, but I think that the transition defense was awful. But I I do think if they put put Beverly on him, it could make a difference. You know, like Curry's energy, like Durant's Durant's gonna hit a shot, but I mean if Curry's gonna pull up from three, four feet beyond the arc to hit a shot, that that's what pisses me off. Because it's like you know exactly what's coming. And Beverly is so keen on these kind of things that you pick him up from half. And then all of a sudden it just happens, you know what I mean? It's just like it's so frustrating to see. But at the end of the day, he's he's probably one of the best players in the NBA right now, so it happens. But it's just frustrating to see because you know exactly what's going to come, you know. Yeah, he's an all-time scorer as well. I do believe he's probably the best three-point shooter that's ever played. Probably one of the best scorers that's ever played. I don't think anybody would argue with that. That's why I'm so keen to see Beverly on him in the next game and see how Gallo handles Durant. I'm not too worried. If it doesn't work in the first half, then there's nothing stopping you switching back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that, uh, or even like the option of putting, because um, Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green, they're pretty decent defenders too, would you say? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're terrible. No. Would you like, would you put one of them on Durant and then maybe, or even like, even bring um, Thornwell or Wallace to like do you think those guys will get kind of heavy minutes going forward or do you think Doc will just switch around with the uh, kind of the fixed unit he has now I think that there's going to be an opportunity for somebody to steal some minutes from Gat, not Gallo sorry from Zubak maybe even mm-hmm. steal the entire his entire rotation minutes I just don't think he fits well scheming against a team that switches like this right no, I agree with that, for sure. I'd like to see Green get some more minutes. If we're going to do a switch, maybe we start off a little bit smaller, put Green in. I'd like to keep Harold and Lou coming off the bench playing together, just because they provide the second unit with so much energy. Right. What, like, uh, do you think Gallo could guard, uh, let's say... Uh, Durant, and then you bring Green in to guard Cousins, or you switch that out, or you don't think that's even possible? I think it's possible, but I think it would be in short stretches. I think having that rotation running over a long period of time 
you're going to get caught out. They're going to figure you out within five, six minutes, maybe. Right. But again, that's right. where the schemes come in, right? That's where you start thinking, because they're not going to be focusing on Buggy. We saw that in game one. Duck said he's going to continue mm. with that. So that leaves a man to be able to kind of guard the paint, have someone playing like the weak side tag waiting for that to happen. Another thing we were getting caught on a lot was pin downs. So if we can start working on coming over the pins, then maybe Mm -hmm. that frees up the extra man and stops the double teams as much. Right. No, I agree with that. It's, uh, you know, I I expected a a loss for the first game just because it's an Oracle. You know, we have three guys who hasn't even seen a daylight of uh, playoff basketball being in our starting lineup. Um, But I I do think we can grab at least a game, you know, in the next three, only because Doc Rivers and just kind of the the spirit of the players, and uh, you know, like in the locker room, like I I can only imagine that the locker room after the game and even today and even tomorrow, like the energy in that locker room is is beyond like what it was ever, you know. And these players really do want to play. Yeah, the nerves are going to be gone as well, and like you say, they're resilient. They do want to play, and they're not afraid to get punched in the mouth, and that's a big part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, that's that's. A, I think I, I can we talk about the tech for a second. I think that was very. <laughs> I don't know if that was an ejection for both players. It seems like when they were uh, batting each other all game, it was more of a friendly banter. You know what I mean? It wasn't really like aggressive to the point where they were shoving each other. I don't think they ever laid hands on each other. It was more so like mocking mentality and just kind of like uh, like they would be joking around throughout the game. Like I'm sure you, I'm sure you saw. Um, Beverly mocking Durant's uh, flopping thing during the game. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. they both had a laugh at that. Like, I thought it was pretty funny, too. I thought they were being friendly all game. And then when he stood up, I guess the refs kind of uh, being, um, um, were being uh, uh, just cautious, I guess, and kind of set the tone for the rest of the series. But I do think, it, I don't think that was an objection for both players. No, I think what they were doing was they'd, all, they'd been a tech like two or three possessions earlier. Then Durant yeah. stands over him. Beverly gets up, and it looks like he's got up to react. So they've dealt with it in the way where it's like, right, let's kill this before it gets any worse. Both guys ejected. Right. I don't think it should have happened like that, but you can understand from a ref's point why they did do mm-hmm. it. No, I do agree. That that ref was making some big... I just knew I made that call, but I just thought it was unnecessary. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you see what Steve Kerr said after the game about it? Um, about the tech? Yeah. I heard it with Durant and I didn't hear what uh, Steve Kerr said. So Steve, Steve Kerr right? said that the Clippers had made loads of good trades all year and trading Beverly for Durant getting sent off was the best trade they'd made, which I found quite oh. funny. Wow. <laughs> I'd, I'd happily lose Beverly if it means I haven't got Durant on the floor yeah, for the rest of the game. that's exactly what I said too. Like I wish it happened early in the game because if Beverly's going to mark their best player, he's going to get under the skin. And worst case scenario, we toss both of them. They, they both get tossed. Like, that's a win for us. Yeah, dude. That's I, what Kerber's saying. It was the best trade we've made all season. Yeah. It's, oh, I just wish it happened a little earlier in the game. But honestly, like, that's a, that's a one-for-one that I'll take any day. Any day. Yeah. And then you lose. And then my opinion is we keep boogieing the game just so we can abuse the guy. But no, it's uh, going to be a really fun series. Uh, I'm sure because I can, uh, I can tell he's like anger inside, but he couldn't really like, 
fifth star there. So, but he he was he was getting under his game. Like he was uh, he was forcing stuff. He wasn't playing Warriors basketball. He'd get the ball and he'd try to drive it on Harold or Zubac or whatever. And it just you know just the commentators were saying like yeah like this is you're getting you're getting ahead of yourself. You know you're getting the most you the best of you and it's just not really working for him. And it was sad to see as a basketball fan for him, but uh, I was happy to see it as a football fan. Yeah, and that's the beauty of Beverly, dude. He does it to everybody. Everybody hates playing against him. It's fun to watch because it does bring that entertainment value. It's like a subplot every game. Right. He does. He does bring that entertainment value. Um, it was funny because I think I was, when I was watching it uh, um, and I was seeing the relationship with him and Duran, it almost made me feel like they had like they had other unknown knowledge of Durant coming to the Clippers next year, but that's just my uh, that's just my fantasy or whatever. But I do <laughs> I do think that like uh, you know they they are good friends in uh, kind of outside of basketball a little bit. Durant's my number one pick to come to the Clips next season. If I could choose anybody, that's who it's going to be. If I can't, if we can't get Durant, let's go and get Kawhi. Yeah. What uh? And what about what about Jimmy Butler? I'm not a Jimmy fan, dude. Uh, I don't like yeah. his locker room, his antics. Look, I liked Jimmy for a while, but after how he acted when he was in Minnesota, I remember mm. I was actually on another podcast at the time as a guest, and I was saying Jimmy needs to go. Watch Jimmy be gone before the trade deadline. Just because I don't think he carries himself correctly. He's not great when the team's losing. I don't want... I don't think Jimmy would mesh well or be good for uh, Shay and Shamit. If if we don't get Durant or Kawhi, and the only other option is Jimmy, would you rather just not get Jimmy? Yeah, dude, honestly. And I know that's stupid because he's still an all-star level talent and he is going to help progress the team. But I feel like he'd also cause problems within the locker room. And I just don't think he's worth it. I mean, I might be the only one of that opinion, and that is just my personal opinion. From a basketball no, no, I, standpoint, I, he's fantastic. Right. No, I, I have a lot of friends who agree with you. Um, my kind of take to that, yeah, he's a great player, he's an all-star. If Duran Kawhi is not there, then I think he's the next best option. And I think the, the locker room thing is, the locker rooms he's kind of went in on don't really have a culture built around it yet. You know, like the Chicago one was a mess. He went to the Wolves and, you know, just the players there are a mess. And he goes to Philadelphia and, you know, you don't really hear a lot about what's going on in Philadelphia in terms of the locker room. But I think him coming to the Clippers locker room will be a little bit different of a mindset for him. Uh, I do think that they're going to be very cautious and meticulous with their decision, uh, bringing him or not, like Steve Ballmer, Jerry West, and Florence Frank are going to really think about it. But I think this year they kind of built this culture that, like, when new players have arrived into the locker room, like like, like they right away say that you know Beverly and um, Harold are like a presence, a strong presence. You know what I mean? So, um, I personally think that if Jimmy Butler does come, I think he can fit into the locker room only because of the culture that's already set and you're kind of blend in. But at the end of the day, I would much rather have Durant and uh, and Kawhi. If we strike out on Durant and Kawhi, would you rather make a run at Kyrie? As point guard? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because the with the history of our draft picks and everything, it seems like we're so heavily dominant in the um, 
in the guard position with young guys. Like we have so many young guys, especially in the G League, and then now we just signed that recruited guy from uh, Miami. Um, is he a Miami guy? I'm not too sure, actually. I I, I think he's, a, he's either a small forward or a guard, but I think they're tr- they're trying to build a young guard system to bring um um forwards in like Durant, Kawhi. Or Jimmy Butler, so I don't see Kyrie only because we've been, we've invested our picks into like Shea, Sham, um, Jerome, Ty Wallace, you know all these guys. So I think they want to build around the young guys. But I, I mean, I, I could be, I could be swayed to the other side. I just don't see, I don't see Curry coming though. I just want to do anything not to have Butler, dude. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> I just don't I have a lot of God. friends who agree with you on that one. <laughs> I was so happy yesterday when the Nets beat. Beat the Sixers, dude. I was cheering, <laughs> not because I hate Philly or anything, just because I can't right. stand Jimmy, dude. I just think he's not a great. I think he's great around other veterans. I just don't think he's a good example to have around your first and second year players. Still there, dude. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, it's funny because people were saying the exact same thing about. Lou Williams, in terms of uh, his uh, how he treats like the young guns, he said he's a bad example, and that's kind of why he's kind of been tossed around the league for a bit. And then when he came to LA, then Doc kind of sat him down and said, "Hey, like you know, like we want to make a future out of you. Like I'm your program, like for training or whatnot. I know you don't lift weights, but like let's put a program in." And he kind of Lou Williams. I don't know if you saw an interview of him recently, but he did say like, "Yeah, like some sometimes I go out and I bring the young guys, and other times I don't." But before that was an issue because they were saying that Lou Williams is just a bad example for the young people. Um, and now, you know, he's kind of changed around. I do think Jimmy's still young, you know, like he can, he can be good, but I do see the negative with it. I, I completely agree with you. I just, uh, my love for Jimmy is a little bit, uh, I, I respect the guy just because I think he's a great basketball player, but I do see how he can be an issue in the locker room. Oh yeah. From the respect aspect, the guy's built a career. He's worked for every minute he's ever got on the basketball court. And from mm-hmm. that point, I see why he was so pissed when he was in Minnesota. Cause he's got these guys that were drafted like really high. They're on, you've got Wiggins on a max contract, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the worst contracts in the league right and, now. And, uh, they draft so high and they had the whole locker room thing. Um, what, do you think Andrew Wiggins is a fraud? What's your take on him? I, he's from Toronto. So, you know, a lot of people have a lot to say about him here. Yeah. Maple Jordan. Um, <laughs> Look, man, I think when he's on his game, he's phenomenally good. He's such a good slasher. He can pull up from pretty much anywhere within within the three-point side. I just think that his attitude is wrong. And that happens, dude. He's young. He's been given a max yeah. contract at a ridiculously young age. So now he's set for life. Yeah. Doesn't matter if he bounces out the league at the end of this contract. No, I agree with you. Um from from what I hear from him, because he's, he's he goes he went to a Toronto school, like a very uh, kind of prestigious Toronto school. And from what I heard is at a young age, because his dad was in the NBA, um, I'm pretty sure his dad was in the NBA. Uh, from from a young age, he knew he was going to be an NBA star, and everyone around him already knew he was going to be an NBA star just because of kind of the way he's been brought up and the way he kind of went to education and then kind of went to schooling and whatnot. So I think he he had this already. But um, and he knew like all of this was coming, so I think he just didn't 
take the step forward and kind of make making more out of himself. You know what I mean? He didn't push it to kind of make better of himself because he, he was kind of just put into that position. Yeah, and that can hurt, dude. But then yeah. Curry was similar. I mean, he wasn't drafted as highly and nobody expected right. Steph to be who Steph is now. But he was right. brought up with an NBA player, dad, playing yeah. pickup games with NBA veterans, Hall of Famers. And he's worked for it as well. So I do believe it's a mindset. Does one thing making it to the league? Does another thing making a legacy within the league? And that differentiates for me why players become stars and why other players stick as role players. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. With that mentality, and some players have it, some players don't. When I think of that, like one of the first things that popped in my head is Montrezl Hell. You know, he really made a name of himself. Started from the G League, got up, and now, you know, he's just a humble guy who plays basketball. You know what I mean? And he always wants to be better for himself. And that's the kind of culture that they want to build with the, the Clippers organization, starting from the head office down. And it's really starting to show, especially to um, the free agents and other people. You know, we were the laughing stock of the NBA like two years ago or three years ago. And then last year when we made all those trades, like everyone's like, oh, like, you guys aren't going anywhere. ESPN predicted us to win like 33 games or something. Charles Barkley, 33 games, all these jokes. And then now this turnaround has really changed things. And I think that starts with players having a different attitude and coming from that background where, you know, they they weren't kind of given it all and they're kind of uh, got it all themselves. Yeah, Harold's probably my favorite player on the team as well. Just because of his story and because of the energy he brings, and you can see it means so much to him to be on the court. All the, every mm-hmm. minute he plays, he doesn't take for granted. He gives you the best he's got. Mm-hmm. I actually put a tweet out not too long ago calling him the Marcus Smart of the West. Aha! I like that. I really like that. And that's probably the best way. I mean, Smart would be another guy that would be great in this Clippers locker room for the way they're trying to play. And with Jimmy, he's a tough guy, and the way the Clippers are structured at the moment is they're tough, they're resilient, they don't back down. So I can see why he'd fit from that aspect. It's just my personal preference, and I'm probably going to catch some heat for it from this. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, I get it. Like, if the, uh, you, sorry, you, you did cut out there for the last two minutes. After the Marcus Smart, what'd you say? Oh, I just said that I think that Jimmy would fit into the team because of a similar mentality. He doesn't back down. He fits into the way the team are trying to play. It's just my mm-hmm. personal preference that we wouldn't get him. It's just if I right. was in charge and I was giving out a contract, I'm not taking Jimmy Butler. Right, no. Uh, Jimmy and Kawhi too. Like, you know, like Kawhi comes from that kind of similar. Um, he doesn't really care about... I think him, Kawhi and Jimmy Butler have very different social lives, but when it comes on the court, like, you know, they really hustle for it. And they, they kind of get to that last... Uh, they go to their spot and they do their thing, you know what I mean? Which is which is nice to see. And Montrezl Hill does that, you know, Marcus Smart, like you said, does that. But uh, yeah, the, that comparison is very, I really like that comparison because I respect Marcus Smart a lot and people say that he's kind of the heart and soul team. Um, they they won without him quite a relatively lead, but I do think he's like the heart and soul of their team and Montrezl Hill with Beverly is the heart and soul of our team. Yeah. Beverly, it worries me if Beverly leaves in the fr- in the summer, just because. Like, I'm not sure if you know this, but Beverly hasn't actually earned a lot of cash during his career. From the grand scheme of things, he's only took in twenty five million dollars in career earnings. 
obviously mm-hmm. with his age, this is probably his last chance to cash in. And if we're looking at bringing in two max players, probably going to look at moving Gallo and then maybe Beverly doesn't re-sign if he wants to get that payday. I can see I can see us moving Gallo. I haven't heard, when they're talking about like next year, I haven't heard the word Gallo come out of Steve Farmers, Jerry West, or Lawrence Francis' mouth. Or even just like, in terms of like when they're hyping up for next year and everything, like Gallo is just, I don't think it's part of our plan. And plus it's 22, is it $22 million or $20 million contract? Is quite heavy, so that will definitely uh, drain another us getting the opportunity of getting another star. But I, I think we really need to keep Beverly. Like we need to. I think I'm sure he understands we're taking a little bit of a pay cut to kind of have an all star two already. But if he's gone, like that's that's <laughs> like he's he's an all he's an all defensive first team this year. Would you wouldn't you say? Yeah, he is, dude. What I will warn you is uh, a good friend of mine, Brendan Nunes. He runs the King's Pulse podcast, and he's pushing hard for Beverly, dude. <laughs> I don't, really? obviously, yeah. He, obviously, <laughs> he doesn't have no contacts in the uh, in the front office. But if he did, right. then you'd need to worry, dude, because Beverly's his num- Beverly and Deadman are his number one guys to go to the Kings this season. Oh my god, that would be holy! That would be a, a ruthless back team for them. Fox, Buddy Hield, and Beverly. Yeah, with Deadman as well replacing Corley Stein. <laughs> That'd be a beast. Oh, Deadman from uh, Atla- Atlanta? Yeah, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't want to think Beverly <laughs> on another team. That would uh, fill the vibe of our first... But, I mean, if we get Kawhi um, or even Butler, I could see I could see the reasoning to kind of uh, push Beverly. But I think Beverly would be stupid not to sign with us. Like, everyone yeah. in that organization knows that they have something special coming up. You know, like Lou took that pay cut because he didn't want to be moved around any, uh, anymore. Beverly kind of knows what's happening, you know. I think it would be really stupid for him not to take a pay cut and sign with us. No, I agree. I think he I think he stays. It's just obviously if he does decide he wants to chase a paycheck, we might not be the team that can provide him the most substantial offer. Expect teams to start offering him between 12 and 15 million. Maybe on a three-year deal. Wow. How how much do you think the Clippers could offer him? I think it all depends who we bring in. If we move Gallo and then we bring in two max stars, then obviously we're probably going to have to fill out a few other spots in the roster. Maybe mm-hmm. eight, eight to ten. Which I think is still uh, a I solid offer. I, but... so how much is he getting paid now? Is it? I'm not too sure, actually. Let me look this up. I think but... him... Him, Lou, and Trezor, I think we're getting all for under 20 or something like that. Yeah, he can't be only much if he's only had 25 million career earnings. Patrick yeah. Beverly contract. Contract salary cut. Bear with me two seconds, people. I'm finding this. He was on a four-year deal at $23 million a year. So this is the last year of the deal, and he picked up $5 million. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so he could be adding $10 million a year onto this salary. Oh, yeah, especially if he gets all NBA first team. Yeah, and this is the problem. It might price him out. If we decide to only take one star, like bring in one max contract, keep Gallo, then we've probably got the cap space to re-sign Beverly as well. But obviously, it just depends what the front office decide to do. And I trust them. The decisions they've made all year have been very well thought out. Very, They've constructed the roster really well. But Very Beverly, well. for me, is somebody I think that we should 
work really hard to keep. I think definitely him ahead of Gallows, only because Gallows' timeline doesn't really fit ours too well. Yeah, that and his injury history. You know, like he had a great year this year, amazing year. I think you can get money from that, but, you know, he's still injury prone. He's getting older, and, uh, you know, he can't move as quick as he used to. Um, there's, there's an interesting, I think, obviously, I don't think it's completely true, or I don't know how credible the source is, but there's, uh, there's a tweet or whatnot I saw the other week that my friend sent me, and it was saying how if Toronto knows that Kawhi Leonard is going, if they know that he's going, then they might as well do a sign and trade, just like they kind of did with Chris Paul, where he kind of got something out of it, at least instead of nothing. So the sign and trade that I saw for this was they, Sign Kawhi and they trade him to the Clippers for Kawhi. Sorry, for Gallinari and a first round pick. And it kind of makes sense to me only because of the timeline that the Raptors have with kind of do a complete rebuild. And then you use that pick. Maybe this is 21 2021 20, 20, unprotected from Miami that we have. But it's interesting because if, if he is going to go, a signing trade would be smart for them, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think they need to look at moving Larry as well after yesterday. <laughs> God damn you know, that boy I, jokes in the playoffs, man. He does, but the it's, it's this first game of the playoffs. Raptors are two for fifteen in the first in the first games. You know, I think uh, my friends are. My, I have a lot of like Toronto fans. They're very, very like passionate Toronto fans, and I think if Kyle, they, Toronto can win a game without Kyle Lowry scoring, you know, he's one of those kind of players where. He will impact the game in a lot of different ways. But as soon as they lose and he doesn't score, then they're like, oh, like if you score, then we would have won. You know, but like he even said before the game, he said, like, this is the type of game where I don't need to score 20 to win or something like that. You know, like he doesn't he doesn't necessarily need to score for them to win. But when they don't win, then he's the first to blame. Yeah, exactly. And that's just because of. DeRozan's gone, so Lowry's like the stalwart of the Raptors. Right. So when it goes bad, he's the face of the team. So he gets the brunt of this criticism. And that comes with part, that's part and parcel of being one of the leaders of the team. Do you not agree? Uh, it's definitely part of the, being a leader. I agree with that. Uh, especially since Kawhi is kind of more of the silent leader. So uh, they need kind of someone like, like Kawhi to step up. Um, I do, I do have to go, but I do want to say uh, one last thing before I go, and I think that's, um, I think this playoffs making the playoffs uh, meant a lot to the team, to the Clippers team. Um, I think not getting our first round pick uh, this year didn't wasn't important at all. When we traded Tobias Harris, everyone thought like, oh, like it's all crushing, nothing's happening. But I think changing that into Shamit and a 21, 2021 unprotected Miami is probably one of the best moves next to trading Zubas for Muscala. <laughs> and I think the fact that this, like when we go look back at these trades two, three years down the road when Shamus developed and Zubas developed, I think that would kind of be one of Jerry West's key trades, just like and the Shamit and 2021 unprotected for Tobias, those two trades will kind of be the marquee moves for Jerry West when they look back at the Clippers franchise two, three years down the road. Kind of a similar similar situation like the Monte Ellis and Curry, you know, like those kind of trades. Um, I think Jerry West has really cemented his legacy already, but I think going forward, 
this this Clippers team is just going to get better and better. And I think this playoffs, as long as we get one win out of it, I think this was a hundred percent a successful A plus year. I completely agree. It was completely exceeded expectations. It's been a great year. If we can steal a game, maybe two, then it's going to have been a great series in the playoffs, and then we can look forward to a fantastic uh, summer. Exactly. No, exactly. All right, dude. Um, well, thank you for coming on, man. You're always welcome back. Uh, just yeah, message no, me. Thank you very Yeah, I will do. I really much appreciate it. It's an, uh, it's an honor to be here, and I wish you luck going forward, and I hope you get some, uh, get some big players like Shaman on here and, uh, very soon. See what you got. Yeah, man, that's the hope. Anytime you want to come on, just message me. Uh, you're always welcome. Thank you again, Hazzy. Thank you very much. Cheers. See you later, bro. All right, guys, so that was the end of this Clippers Pulse podcast. Feel free to hit me up if you fancy being a guest on here. Talk some Clippers basketball, some free agency, and we'll catch you again later in the week.